Today's scripture is from the Psalms, Psalm 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you so much, uh, Greg. Church family, good morning. I'm excited to share with you today about my This Is Me verse, uh, the psalm that uh, Greg just read, Psalm 16. But before I get to the passage, I need to share a little something about myself that will help you understand why this passage is so foundational to my identity. Through most of my life, one of my most significant struggles has been with anxiety, and worry and fear. I don't know if it's nature or nurture, the way I was wired or the way I was raised, but that has been a struggle for me over the years. It started early. I remember being just maybe four or five years old and uh, one of the things that, that scared me was whenever on the, the TV, they would put that little logo on the TV, maybe you've seen this, it said Tornado Watch. Anybody remember this? And my parents tried to describe to me the difference in a, a watch and a warning, but I'd seen The Wizard of Oz. I know what happens when the tornado comes, right? You've seen that. As I got a little older, my mom decided that uh, my sister and I were old enough to stay at home by ourselves for a few hours while she would go run errands. That's a big uh, point in every elementary schooler's life. And I remember, uh, now, now let me just remind you, this is in the days way before cell phones, okay? Mom would sit my sister and I down and say, okay, I'll be home at four o'clock. Four o'clock would come and go, no mom. 4.15, no mom. 4.30, no mom. There's no blue dot on my screen telling me where she is. And I was 100% convinced she'd been in a terrible auto accident and was dead on the side of the road. I'm imagining the funeral. I'm thinking about life with no mom. And she finally gets home. Uh, and every time I'd just give her a big hug and through my tears say, Mom, I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead. I was a really fun child, uh, if you're <laughs> wondering. As I got older, I stopped being afraid of tornado watches and mom getting home late, but I didn't stop worrying. Those fears and anxieties just got replaced with other ones, with bigger ones. 
I've been afraid of failure. I've been anxious about what other people think about me. I've been worried about something bad happening to one of my kids. My health is a big one for me. I don't know if I've said this in this public setting, but so many times in my life I'll have some kind of symptom in my mind. I'll spin it and decide I have some uh, debilitating disease or, or, or cancer and I'll just worry and spin on it. Even preaching makes me anxious and I love preaching. I love preaching. It's such a blessing, but every now and then there's a little secret. Every now and then I'm up here and I realize suddenly I'm very aware that all of you are staring at me. <laughs> like right now, like you are right now. And I'll have just a little panic attack and I'll seriously, I'll think, what if I forget English? What? Well, Arthur, can, oh, yes. And I, <laughs> I grew up speaking English. What if I forget it? What if I just panic? <laughs> I've got issues, I know. But I'm not the only one, am I? All of us struggle with worry and anxiety from time to time. Some more, some less, but all of us struggle. I was talking with Caleb the other day, and he was visiting with one of our recent high school graduates, and they were going off to college, and he said, hey, are you so excited? And, and this person said, mainly I'm just scared. I was talking with another friend uh, who's recently divorced, and they were about to have an extended time uh, away from work, and they said, I'm, I'm anxious about how I'm going to fill all that time by myself. I know people in our congregation who are worried about a family member in the hospital right now. I know so many uh, of you who are worried about uh, one of your kids, maybe a teenager or a young adult in the path they're on. I know people in our congregation who are worried about and anxious about how am I going to make ends meet this month. The outflow seems higher than the inflow. We are an anxious people. I, I was reading last week that uh, Amazon tracks all of the passages that people highlight when they're reading in the Kindle app. Did you know this? They track everything, right? And they do track uh, this. And you know what the number one most highlighted passage in the Kindle version of the Bible is? It's not John 3.16. It's not the 23rd Psalm. It's Philippians 4, 6 and 7, which says, Do not be anxious about anything. Isn't that fascinating that out of all of the Bible, 66 books, the number one highlighted passage is do not be anxious about anything. And the answer, is ob the answer why is obvious, right? Because we are anxious about everything. We are an anxious people. I want to unpack this just a little bit. When, when we feel anxious, I think what we're, really do what we're really feeling is we're longing for safety. We want to be safe. We want to know that we're safe from harm, uh, safe from pain, safe from danger. But here's the question is, how do, you, how do you get safe? Where do you find safety? Where does safety come from? Well, the world has an answer to this question. The world says safety is found in your circumstances. And uh, Larry always said, if your sermon's boring, bring props. So I've got props uh, today. And so safety, this is our goal, Okay. So in case you forget what our goal is, I'm going to put it right up here, up top. So this is what we're trying to achieve. And the question is, how do we get all the way up to safety? And the world tells us safety is found in your circumstances. So I had these little uh, blocks uh, to represent our circumstances. And the first set of circumstances are the things that you're born with or are given to you. And depending on what, what you're given or what you're born with, you feel more safe or less safe. So like, for example, the country that you're born in uh, has a lot to do with this. So say you're born in a relatively safe country like maybe the U.S., maybe you have two or three blocks there, but maybe if you're born in a, a country, can you, I need to duck down, don't I? Didn't think through that all the way. 
uh, if you're born in a, a country that's um, at war, maybe you have just one or two blocks. Uh, the family that you grow up in, that's another thing that helps us feel more safe or less safe. Other things that are, are given to us or that we're born with, maybe uh, our financial situation uh, with our family or maybe our relational safety net. Does that make sense? Things that are given to us or you're born with. And that gets us part of the way up, but you can see still got a long way to go to safety, right? So uh, one of the things we do to try to resolve this gap is we try to add more circumstances, things that we can control to help us get to safety. And so this is the time where we have a little group participation. So think about what are some of the circumstances, the things that we can control that we do to try to help us feel safe. And uh, just shout them out. What are, what are some of the things we try to do? Money, absolutely. Yes, if our bank account is big enough, then maybe we can be safe from danger. Good, what else? You can't say Jesus, that's cheating, by the way. <laughs> Don't say Jesus. But there are others, and I'll wait here all day. What, what else? Job security. Job security, absolutely, yes. Job security, what else? Health, Health yes. Security systems, maybe. Uh-oh, see it starting to wobble? So many things we try to add, but the tower gets a little wobbly, and now here's a problem, right? What's the problem? I'm out of bricks. I'm out of bricks, and there's still a gap. And there's a reason why there's still a gap, okay? What we've done is we have added the things within our control that try to make us feel safe, but we don't have enough bricks to get all the way. The reason is so much of life is not in our control, so much of life is outside of our control, and so we have this gap. I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you have. That can't keep you from getting cancer, right? doesn't matter how much job security you have. That can't ensure that you will never get a broken heart. And so we have this gap. So what do we do? We fill the gap with the only thing we have left. It's anxiety, worry, and fear. We can't handle this gap, and so we fill it with our worries with our anxieties. Are you depressed yet? <laughs> Fortunately, we're not the first people to deal with this problem. The Bible has a ton, a ton of great stuff to say about fear and anxiety. And Psalm 16 is one of my favorites. Right at the very beginning in verse 1, David tells us that he knows this struggle. Verse 1, he says, keep me safe. Keep me safe. David wants the same thing that we want. He wants safety. Multiple millennia ago, and David is saying, keep me safe. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Okay, but right after that, he says something so important and so different from what you would expect. We might expect, according to the world's uh, economy, we might, say, we might expect him to say, keep me safe, my circus. But he doesn't. What does he say? Let's put the next part up. Keep me safe what? My God. You see the difference? The world tells us that safety is found in our circumstances, but the psalmist knows that true safety is found in your Savior, not your circumstances. David knows that true safety doesn't come from the bottom up by trying to stack up enough circumstances to bring us to safety. True safety comes from the top down. Whoa. You didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> True safety, you're going to remember it though. It's silly, but you're going to remember it. True safety does not come from stacking up enough positive circumstances. True safety comes from trusting in our Savior. This is the secret to living 
a life of peace and joy instead of a life of fear and worry. And even when we don't feel safe because there's so much of life that we can't control, even when we don't feel safe because there's so many dangers out there, we can trust that we are truly, ultimately safe because God is on the throne. We have a good and loving Savior who came down from heaven to earth to save us. We'll talk more uh, about what it means to be truly safe in God's hands uh, in just a minute. But first I want you to notice something about verse 1. This belief that true safety comes from God leads David to an action. He doesn't just ask God for help. He does something. Look at the rest of verse 1. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Because he believes that God is the source of true safety, he says, I'm intentionally taking refuge in you. Believing is one thing, but acting is a different thing, right? Let me see if I can illustrate this. Let's say uh, that, that I'm outside and it's raining and I have an umbrella. Now I can say, keep me safe, my umbrella, but if I leave it closed and down by my side, what's going to happen? I'm going to get wet, right? I have to say the second half of the verse. I can't just say, keep me safe, my umbrella. I have to intentionally take refuge under the umbrella. Does that make sense? You see the difference there? That's just what David is saying here. He's saying, God, I don't just believe that you could theoretically keep me safe. I'm actively taking refuge in you. And I have to ask, is that your first instinct when danger comes? And I wish I could say it was my first instinct, but so many times for, for me, my first reaction is to either try to fix my circumstances or to feel anxious, to panic. But I do have to just give testimony that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm slowly, bit by bit, actually learning to do this. I'm not perfect at it by any means. I still struggle with worry and anxiety from time to time. And part of the reason for that is something that you know. It takes a while sometimes for our emotions to catch up to our convictions. You ever notice that? You can, you can feel something, you can believe something, have a conviction, and sometimes it takes your emotions a while to catch up. And that's definitely true for me. But I want to tell you that God really is in my own life teaching me more and more to trust him one day at a time. And I just stand here to tell you, it's better. It's better. It's so much better. Now, what does it mean practically that David takes refuge in God? That's a somewhat abstract thing to say, isn't it? Well, look at verse 2, and he's going to give us a little clue here. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. And this, this is a small little verse, but so rich with meaning. It starts out, I say to the Lord. And do you notice that this word Lord is in all caps? You ever notice that in your Bible? Sometimes Lord is all caps. This is a little signal from the translators that the Hebrew word they're translating Lord is the word Yahweh. You may have heard that word before, Yahweh. It's God's personal name, not like a general God. It's, it's a specific God. It's the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, his covenant name. And David says, I say to the Lord, Yahweh, you are my Lord. And do you see that this, this one is not in all caps? It can be a little confusing because in English it's the same word, but the translators are telling us they're translating two different Hebrew words. And the second one is a, a different Hebrew word that you may have heard. It's Adonai. I don't know if you've heard that word before, Adonai. And this is a more general term for God, and it means master, sovereign one, king. So you put those two together and you see what's happening. David's saying, I say to the Lord, this specific God, you are my Lord, my master my savior, my king. 
This is how David takes refuge in God. He's saying, I'm not my own Lord anymore. I'm surrendering to you. I'm giving you everything I have, everything I am. I don't want you to just be a Lord. I want you to be my Lord. Can I just ask this morning, have you made that same decision? Have you come to the point in your life where you've said, I don't want to trust in myself any longer. I want to take refuge in God. I want the Lord to be my Lord. If you haven't made that decision, man, I hope today is the day. I pray today is the day. It's so worth it. Really, the rest of the psalm is a description of why trusting God is worth it and how it leads us to true safety. The rest of verse 2 says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. David's saying, God, I believe that you're the source of everything good in my life. Anything good I have is a gift from you. And in fact, without you, those things that I think are good wouldn't even be good to begin with because they would lose their frame of reference because, God, you are the source of everything good and you're the definition of everything good. And this is such a key point for us, church, because it's just so easy, so easy to come to God mainly to get better circumstances. It's our nature. We, we can come to God and say, bless me, God. God, fix this problem. God, help me in, in this area. God, heal this thing. And here's the, here's the thing. God does change our circumstances. By his grace, miraculous, he makes so many things better. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in your life. But never forget that when God changes our circumstances for the better, that's secondary, not primary. The primary blessing is not God making our circumstances better, although he often does. The primary blessing is God himself. God himself. God is not just the source of blessing. God is the blessing. In verse 4, David contrasts the goodness of following God with the pain of following anything else. He says, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. At first, this sounds a little bit like a warning of judgment. Like, hey, if you're thinking about worshiping idols, think again because God's coming and he's mad. And while it's true that continued willful rebellion does ultimately lead to judgment, I don't think that's what David is talking about in this verse. I think in this verse, David's doing something different. I think he's actually describing something that he has experienced in his own life and something that he's seen in the lives of the people around him. And what he's seen is that if you try to replace God with something else, it leads to suffering. What he's seen is if you try to rely on your circumstances or anything else other than God, you end up hurting yourself. I was listening to a sermon the other day, and the pastor shared a great line about addiction. He said, all addictions start off as magical, then they become medicinal, and then you become miserable. They start off as magical. Oh, this is so amazing. Then they become medicinal. Oh, I need this. Then you become miserable. How do I get out of this? And it's not just addiction. Really, that's a description of all of sin. It looks good at first. We think, oh, what a great idea this is. But then we become dependent on it. And then we become enslaved by it. And it makes us miserable. And David says, if you run after these other gods, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer more and more. Now, before we let ourselves off the hook, because most of us don't struggle with worshiping ancient Canaanite gods, let's press in a little bit to the principle here. Why were the Israelites tempted to worship the ancient Canaanite gods? Because they thought it was going to make their circumstances better. That's why they were tempted to do it. This God, uh, if I worship this God, maybe it'll make the rain fall and I'll be safe from drought. If I worship that God, maybe it'll make the crops grow and I'll be safe 
from famine. And we may not have that problem, but friends, how often do you, how often do I do the exact same thing and worship the American, American gods of consumerism or materialism or leisure or accomplishment or power? And David says, if you run after those other gods, it's just going to lead to pain. It's just going to lead to suffering. And he says, as for me, I'm not going to do it. He makes a commitment uh, in the next part of the, the verse. He says, I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. In other words, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to suffer. I'm not going to make sacrifices to these gods. I'm not going to worship them. I don't even want to get close. I'm not even going to say their name on my lips. And when you first read it, this might sound prideful or pious, but I don't think this is piety. I think it's self-preservation. I think he's saying, I know where that road leads and I don't want to be on it. I'm going to run the other direction. This reminds me of something that happened to me a little while back. Um, one of my favorite snacks is hummus. I don't know how you feel about hummus. It's not as good as bluebell, but I really do love it. And uh, maybe with some pita chips or some carrots. And, and one day I was at the grocery store a few years ago and I thought I'm going to get me some hummus. And it was a different grocery store than where I usually shop. And I saw hummus and I picked it up and I thought, well, that's weird. At my store, this is in the refrigerated section. It's kind of weird that it's not refrigerated here, but, you know, I guess they know what they're doing. So I, I, I bought the hummus, went home, uh, ate some hummus. It was delicious as always. And then about an hour or two later, something just didn't feel quite right. You know that feeling? And then about 30 minutes after that, I was curled up in a tiny little ball on my bed with the worst stomachache I had in years. Lasted like three hours. Terrible, terrible. Well, fast forward a couple of days. I was feeling better. Uh, I was home, wanted a snack, looked in the fridge and saw the hummus. And I thought to myself, David shaking his head, but yeah. I thought to myself, you know, I ate a lot of things that day. I don't really know for sure it was the hummus, right? I mean, maybe it was just like a stomach bug. And so pulled it out. Ate a big old serving of hummus. It was delicious. About two hours later, curled up on my bed in a tiny ball with the worst stomach ache. Just miserable. Now, when I finally felt better, you're thinking, man, I thought you were smarter than that, John. When I finally felt better, what do you think I did with the hummus? I threw that stuff away, man. What I said is I kind of I quoted this verse. Uh, I said, those who eat spoiled hummus will suffer more and more. I will not dip a pita chip into such hummus or take it up on my lips. <laughs> Friends, trying to find your safety and security in your circumstances apart from God is no wiser than eating spoiled hummus. It ultimately leads to suffering. And the psalmist says, I'm not going to do it. Instead, he says what he is going to do in verse 5. He says, Lord, you alone are my portion of my cup. You make my lot, and say this word with me, secure. You make me safe. In other words, you're all I need, God. With you, my plate is full, my cup is full. As long as I have you, I have everything I need. David is looking for safety, and he's found it. Not in his circumstances, but in his Savior. And I love what 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, we can drain our shallow cup of sorrow because the deep cup of love stands next to it and will never be empty. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, so often in life we have to drink 
from the cup of sorrow. It's part of the human experience. But even in the midst of it, we can have joy. We can rest secure because next to it, God has placed the deep cup of his love and it will never run dry. In verse 8, David gives us the secret of how he does all this practically, how he takes refuge in God. Take a look. He says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him in my right hand, I will not be shaken. How does David experience the safety and security that comes only from God? He intentionally and regularly fixes his mind on God and his presence with him. He says, I keep my eyes. And notice that that's, that's an active uh, clause. It's not a passive clause. It's something he intentionally does. I intentionally, purposefully focus the eyes of my heart on God. And then he remembers that God isn't far off. He says, he's right here at my right hand. And then because of that intentional practice, the promise, I will not be shaken. Now, it's super important to recognize what David doesn't say here. What David doesn't say is, with him at my right hand, nothing bad will happen to me. He doesn't say, with him at my right hand, I will not experience pain or sorrow or loss. Friends, you know this. He doesn't say it because it's not true. The Bible does not promise that those who take refuge in God will never face suffering. In fact, we're promised that we will suffer. But even in the suffering, we will not be shaken. I've seen this in my own life. If I'm honest, God has not rescued me from every painful circumstance in my life. I've walked through lots of difficult days. You know, I, t- I joked about how I was afraid of my mom getting a, in a car accident when I was a kid, and that didn't happen. But she did pass away from cancer when I was in my 20s. My wife Joanna and I have walked through some excruciating things as parents. I mean, things that are hard even to speak about. We've walked through traumas, big and small, real traumas. But I'm here to tell you that even on the darkest days, God has been faithful. God has been good. And we have not ultimately been shaken. Now listen, I am not downplaying the reality of pain and suffering. Pain and suffering are absolutely real. I'm just saying there's something bigger than our pain. There's something stronger than our suffering. And it is the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. Again, I love the way that Spurgeon puts this. This is one of my favorite quotes. He says, it's impossible that any ill, and when he says ill, he means harm, It is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. The most crushing calamities can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward. Ill to him is no ill, but only good in a mysterious form. Isn't that a great line? Good in a mysterious form. Losses enrich him. Sickness is his medicine. Reproach is his honor. Death is his gain. No evil in the strict sense of the word can happen to him, for everything is overruled for good. So powerful. And friends, if you ever doubt this, look to the cross. Look to the cross because God did not rescue Jesus from the cross. You ever think about that? God did not rescue Jesus from the cross. He went to the depths of suffering, but God did raise him from the dead. Everything is overruled for good. 
Isn't that the kind of life you want to live? Don't you want to live the life where no matter what happens, you can truly say, I am safe, I am secure? The psalmist says it's actually possible if instead of trying to build a wall of circumstances, we put our trust in our good Savior. So the question is, how do we do this practically? This sounds nice, John, on a Sunday morning, but what do I do on Monday? Well, what David is talking about in in verse 8, if we can put verse 8 back up there, that would be great. What he's talking about is intentionally cultivating a constant awareness of God's presence. He's talking about meditating on his word, reflecting on his goodness, talking with him in prayer throughout the day. And there are lots of ways to do this, but I want to suggest just one thing. And in fact, I want to invite everybody here to try this little experiment with me this week. What I want us to do is every morning, next seven days, is uh, a few times repeat this verse to yourself. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I want you to repeat it to yourself, uh, maybe even as a prayer, a few times in the morning. And then throughout the day, whenever you start to feel a twinge of anxiety, or you begin to fall into that pattern of worry, I want you to bring it to your mind again. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Now this will be a little easier uh, if you memorize it. You may not have your Bible with you or your phone open. So we're going to take just a minute to actually memorize it together today. Uh, You're thinking, oh, we can't do that in a minute. But we really can. It's pretty easy. There are three sections here. The first section, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. Say that with me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. A little trick I like to use to remember this section and also where this uh, verse is found is how old in Texas do you have to be to get a driver's license? Students tell me, how old do you have to be? 16. Okay, what psalm is this? 16, right. Okay, when you're driving, you should keep your eyes always on the road, okay? When you're living, keep your eyes always on the Lord. A little silly, but you'll remember it. A little silly. Okay, say that one with me one more time. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. Now we move from our eyes to our hand. So let's say this next one. With him at my right hand. One more time. With him at my right hand. And the last part is the promise. I will not be shaken. Okay, let's say the whole thing together. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So for the next seven days, that's your challenge, is to repeat this to yourself several times each morning. And then every time you feel that twinge of fear or worry or anxiety, to bring this to mind again. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And as you reflect on those words, remember that true safety is not found in your circumstances. It's found in your Savior. As we wrap up, I, just, I want to pose just a couple of brief questions. Question number one, as you evaluate your life today, where are you trying to find safety? Are you trying to find safety by building up enough circumstances to somehow reach all the way to the top? If so, I encourage you. Throw the hummus away. It only leads to suffering. Take refuge in God, friends. Make the Lord your Lord. Keep your eyes always on the Lord and with him at your right hand, you will not be shaken. Question number two, and this question has been haunting me all week. Here's the question. What would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do if you truly believe that no matter what happened, you are ultimately safe in God's hands and that nothing could shake you. How would that change things for you? I wonder what kind of relational risks 
would you take? Would you try to reconcile with someone who's hurt you? Would you try to build a relationship with someone who's different from you? I wonder, if you were not afraid, what kinds of new ways would you serve others? What leadership role, what serving role would you step up into? If you truly believe that that nothing could happen that would ultimately shake you, but you're fully safe in God's hands, how would you respond to health struggles? How would you respond to difficulties at school, to challenges at work? If you knew you were totally and completely safe, in what new ways would you be generous? With your money, with your time, with your energy? And now I'd love to even broaden the question. What about for us as a church? What, what would our church, what could our church do together if we weren't afraid? What could our church do together if we were 100% convinced that we are safe in God's hand? If we believe that regardless of what staff transition we're going through, regardless of how our community is changing, regardless of the ch- how challenging our cultural climate is, that God has us? What kind of impact could we make on our community? What kind of impact could we make on our world? I just want to say, church, let's find out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us, for your kindness to us, for the grace that you have shown us. It's so easy, Lord, to try to find safety in our circumstances, but by your grace, would you help us? Would you help us to find our true safety and our Savior? God, I pray for every person in this room who struggles with anxiety and worry and fear, which is the vast majority of us. God, I pray that you would replace our worry and anxiety with hope and faith and joy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.